Breakfast on SEN. Happy Tuesday to you all, the 23rd of January. We've called in the big guns this morning, which I'm excited about. But firstly, let me tell you what's on the McCafe menu, our official coffee partner, Ricky Ponting. Punter's going to join us. Been trying to get him for a while. So good to have Ricky on the show after what the Brisbane Heat did to my strikers last night was extraordinary. Lots to talk about in the world of cricket with one of the best to do it. Jose Morgado is an international tennis writer. Carlos Alcaraz absolutely flying. Is he the one to challenge Novak? Lots uh, to speak about as we gear towards the business end of the Australian Open. Brett Phillips with his usual tennis update. Looking forward to that. Questions without notice. And of course, your calls, one 736 736 But let me introduce you to an Australian Football Hall of Famer, the five-time day, five-time night premiership hero from the Hawthorne Football Club, an SEN favourite at Dermot Brereton. Derm, thanks for stepping up this morning. Good morning, Kane. How are you going there? And no problem. No problem. Uh, so, what you got the call yesterday, obviously. Sammy's yes. a bit under the weather. Yes, one, yeah, and good luck to Sammy. He's feeling a bit crooked after his weekend away. Everyone who goes to Adelaide comes home bringing something they didn't want. Including Glenn Maxwell. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's where I was going. We'll touch on that a little bit later, but... Yeah, uh, you can find a bit of trouble. For a, you know how you get some blokes in sport, and they and they, they're, oh, I said we'd touch on it, we just briefly touch on. It. They're they're rat bags, and they find trouble because they're rat bags. Maxie's not a rat bag, but he just kind of finds trouble wherever he goes. But we will touch on that. Yeah. And yeah. Good luck to Sammy Edmund. He's feeling a bit crook, but um, yes, got a a call, and this time of year when you're trying to. Soak up every minute until you start work again, which is looming up for us in the footy trade. Um, yeah, I thought, oh no, that's too. Actually, I'm not doing anything. Yeah, all right, <laughs> I can go in. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you did, Deb, because yesterday was a little a little bit tough. We we did our best, but uh, something pulled out late. So you're right, he's a bit under the weather. But Derm is here. Speaking but before of- you go on. Okay. Now, for our listeners, we, we sit in um, dual studios. We're, we do. Yeah, 700 kilometres apart. You're in Adelaide, I'm in Melbourne. But we have the screen linking us so we can see what each other's mannerisms are. We can, we're looking directly at each other. You've got this bloody big, I can say it, it's 6.30 in the morning, 6.15 in the morning. You've got this big-ass beard working. <laughs> it look, I thought it was Justin Westoff sitting there. <laughs> And you're a little bit bigger as well. Yeah, I've uh, yeah, I've, I've done a few things differently, Dan. But yeah, the beard's thick. Yeah, um, I know. I'm not sure how long it'll it'll last. It's about 39 degrees here in Adelaide, so not not that comfortable. But yeah, it's something different. Call it the uh, holiday beard, even though you're not on holidays. But the holidays from the footy season, and, and it'll come off. It's got a little bit of at the end of it. I don't know if you know your your, your old movie stars. Remember Oliver Reed. The, the English, yeah, when he grew a bit, it's got a bit, you could even get it more pointed, giving you a pointy jaw, and it had that mean look to it. It's got a little bit of that. It's, I tell you what, if you, if you take up riding motorbikes, or you won't need a helmet if you land on the beard at the moment. <laughs> awesome. There's a lot of cushioning there. Yeah, good cushion. Uh, that, yep, so I'm glad we addressed that, but you we do the video now, Doom. Everyone yeah. on social media can see the video, so they're probably – I've had a few few comments on that. Um, but it'll come off. Don't worry. It'll come off before footy season. <laughs> uh, speaking of finding trouble With in Adelaide. Snipper. Yeah, go on. Did you, did, apart from knocking out Chris McDermott in the first oh. Crows game. 
<laughs> first ever Crows game. He's got sandwich pork, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> go on. You go lined on. him up. I did. You, line, yeah. you yeah. lined him up in a different era, of course. Yeah. Did you ever find yourself in any trouble in Adelaide? Uh, which trip? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, do you get weeks for that? Do you, do you know? Do you, do you get weeks for that, or was that just that was probably a fair hit in 1991? Uh, you know what? I caught my right whack, but I got sniffed on that one. I got five. I got five weeks. You got five weeks. Got five weeks. Paul Deere, the late uh, great Paul Deere. Well, he was 108 kilos, and I was sort of mid 90s. Yeah. And Bone, uh, he got sandwiched. I did go for the shirt front, and Deary was just about to tackle him from behind. So when I um, ran in and bumped him, uh, yeah, he got sandwiched between. <laughs> Between Pumpkinhead and myself, and uh, yeah, he got—he he was a bit thinner after that. He's, he's got squash, that excuse yeah. didn't wash at the tribunal. Well, so no, the, the <laughs> it was one of those ones. The umpire ran up to me, <laughs> Pete Cameron, good bloke, Pete, but yeah. loved the crowd. <laughs> He was one of the umpires who loved the Like crowd. Razor, the, uh, the original yeah. Razor. Right? I love Ray too yeah, as an so umpire. I, I think he's yeah. a very good umpire. Um, yeah, but loved the crowd. And he ran up and he uh, he said, I'm reporting you for a late charge. And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, okay. I said, now don't change it, will you? Because it wasn't late. And he said, no, nope, no. Nope. And we got to the tribunal. Somebody got must have said something to him, and I'll still say this. And when we got the report back, one of his umpires must have said to him, no, it wasn't that late. <laughs> you better change it. Yeah. And he said, I put a forearm up. And we proved that I, I had to have raised a forearm in 0.4 of a second, raised it and lowered it in 0.4 of a second when the camera cut away. He said, no, that got raised when the camera cut away to another angle. And, yeah, I mean, Jackie Chan couldn't have raised an elbow no. in 0.4 of a second and then had it by your side again 0.4 of a second later. But anyway, they believed his evidence. So, yeah. That, five weeks. Yeah, what, five was weeks. The lo- what was the longest in the end? Was That that must have been the longest. No. <laughs> what, what was the, couple the, the, of, the... couple of sevens. <laughs> couple of sevens. Couple of sevens. Yeah. <laughs> There's no the, point. <laughs> if you added the inflation to that. In 2024, what what would the seven equate oh, to? Jeepers. I'll I, I tell you one thing, though. The seven, the first seven in bonuses and the likes back in the day cost me all oh. up in the end about 120 wow. in the 90s. Yeah, in the early 90s. So it was a, yes, <laughs> it was an awful decision. So you had some certain games played clauses in yes. the contract. Yes, yeah. correct. And, Correct. Yep, mate. Who's Serves the idiot? you right. Yeah. Serves you right. Mate, I couldn't agree more. You sound yeah. like your old man now. He used to give it to me as well. Yeah. He'd come out. He'd try to come out and address his team. And if I had, I wasn't trying to do anything to do, I'd you know, like Graham and he'd walk out, he'd yell out, he's kicking your ass, man. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, Corn, you idiot. <laughs> Oh, what an era! What a byplay in those in those oh, eras. Oh yeah, how yeah. good! We miss it. We miss it a little bit. Yeah. You were the you were the king of the byplay. Uh, speaking of you, it's just about you for just a little second here, Dern, because yep. it was twenty years of SEN on Friday. Um, I wanted to ask you if you you're a, a key influential player of the early early years at SEN. Your recollections and 
um, your memories of, of those early days of, of SEN? Yeah, well, we started over in um, uh, Richmond. Over in, uh, which I, you and I shared a lift once, didn't we? we? Did. After, you gave me a lift. Yeah, yeah. Very kind of you. Yeah, so that was over on um, Bridge Road in, in Richmond. Um, no, I was on with Anthony Hudson and Matt Hardy. Now, Matt Hardy wrote a, a, a footballing book about being a supporter barracking for St Kilda. Comedian Matt Hardy, he's been in front of the mic, behind the mic, he's written for people. He actually wrote, yeah, they had about... 30 writers around the world. Kelsey Grammer. Remember that show, Kelsey mm, Grammer? I yeah. do remember that He was show, one yeah. of the writers on it. And he, right. yeah, and, and he got paid a retainer and he'd write X amount of jokes. And so with about 30 or 40 writers around the world all doing the same thing, you know, you might get one of your jokes on <laughs> every six mm. episodes. Um, yeah, he was a writer for that and he, he was on our show. He wrote a very funny book about being a St Kilda supporter growing up in the Burbs. I think he was Mount Waverley, Glen Waverley, something like yeah. that. And he was on with us. He was hilarious to work with. Um, yeah, in the early days. And, of course, the the, the terrible, tragic passing of, of Hook, David Hooks, yeah. before the, the night before the the first time we went on air. So it was a very sombre affair. But uh, and then we had the as you came on a couple of times back over there we had crunch time came out of the Richmond studio and the the first in also incarnation of crunch time was Hutto, myself and Grant Thomas. Is that right? Yeah, and and Robbo as well. Yeah, and uh, 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 we love Robbo. Robbo's a little bit like Mike Sheen. He, he doesn't cop criticism well, or. He's a, oh, he's hilarious, <laughs> Robbo. No, <laughs> he's brilliant at what he does. You got to you give him that. that he so was his... there? A, was did he crack it a bit? No, well, there, well, he? well, Robbo. Yeah, he he doesn't take that 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 feedback all that well if it's not positive. It's not that he cracks up; he just doesn't know how to deal with it sometimes. Yeah. And in the early days, Tomo's got a wicked sense, wicked sense of humour, and Tomo uh, was on and. Robbo's talking about, oh, yeah, but this is how it works. Like, Tomo, you've known me for a long time. You know how I operate. You know how it works. And blah, 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 blah. And then Tomo, when he finished, Tomo nonchalantly looked at him and said, I don't know you. <laughs> and Robbo's jaw dropped as if to say, how could you do that to me? <laughs> yeah, Robbo learned oh. out of that one, though. Oh, yeah, so Tomo was great fun. And a Tomo's brilliant because one thing you've got to understand, in, and and you're a little bit of this beast as well, Kane, is that most people in the footballing world, no, ninety nine point nine percent serve a master, mm. and they have somebody who is their let's call them their natural predator, their their, their boss and their natural predator. They cannot go across their desires. You're, you're wonderful for this football landscape because you fear no predator like that. Um, Sam Newman's another one who fears nobody's backlash. Mm. Um, Grant Thomas fears no natural predator. He will, he, he, in terms of the footballing landscape, he will speak his mind and give you his absolute truthful feelings. Whereas a lot of us, and I put myself in the same book, 
a lot of us actually temper what we say because we're fearful. Like if I was to come on mm. now and say, oh, yes, I went and had a, a burger at such and such. Oh, the, the stuff fell out. And I'd have to look sideways and go, right, who sponsors us? Yeah, <laughs> is there, yeah, is there yeah, a no. We all have we all somebody. Yeah, yeah, we, we, we yeah. do feel that. But there are rarities in this caper like Tomo who fear no predator mm. like that and speak their mind. And that's what Tomo was in that show. He he just didn't care who was offended he, by his Well, he was the same on He went on Footy Classified, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and was, it was exactly the same there. And he's now the same on Twitter, if you follow him on, on social media, Grant Thomas. Uh, I've heard this story from David Swartz a couple of times, and he was on with Gary and Tim on Friday, which was great. But I want to get your side of the story after we hear this from the Ox. Network Dermot was on with Matt Hardy and Anthony Hudson. Right. I think Dermot was on about 180 grand. They said, Dermot, we're going to cut you back to 130 grand just to save costs. He said, I'm not working three hours a day for 130 grand. <laughs> um, so I took the job for 50 and uh, I cut Dermot's lunch. <laughs> I've heard that story three or four times. Truth? Far from the truth. Actually, <laughs> well, there was. I'll tell you, you remember how the show went broke? The, the station went broke for a little while yeah. and we needed a saviour anyway. Um, this is one of the, the, the times, it actually forced me to go to another station. Um, they said, oh, we can't pay you. And a lot of the shows on air just went, all right, we're off. Okay. And they walked away. And this is the one time I was dirty on the management at that stage. I said to Matthew and, 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 um, and Matty uh, and, and Hutto, I said, guys, if you walk away, the vehicle loses its wheels. We're not rolling mm. anymore. We're not on air. If we keep working for free, when a new buyer comes in and a new buyer will come in and buy this station, it's too good a concept. There's too much of a need in this town mm. for mm. SEN. Um, we'll be up and running. We'll keep our jobs. We might take a bit of a haircut. That's fine. And they, they agreed. So we worked for three months for no months. pay. Yep, yep. And that's we all talked through it, and that's how I presented it to them. I said, let's work for three months or, or whatever it is until we mm. get a new buyer for free. And so I said, now, obviously, we all have other jobs. Mm. If you need to do more in that job than, than this job, we'll cover for you. So in those three months, Hutto might have missed a couple of days. Matty might have missed a couple of days going into state to do, you know, uh, comedian, comedian mm. gigs and whatever, and I might have missed a couple. Oh, well, I did miss a couple of days doing. I think it was getaway at the time. But I might have been postcards first. Anyway, so I missed a couple of days, and then you know we say right, two or three times in three months. If you get in an hour late because you're on a shoot or something like that, we'll cover for you because we're working for free for three months. Yeah. Anyway, one of the <laughs> executives who's no longer. <laughs> at the station, got interviewed in the Green Guide and said, yes, we have to sort out our on-air talent to see if they're all fed income and really want to be here. People like Brereton, you know, whether they're willing to take a, a, a haircut and whether they're fed income and want to pitch in. And really? I thought, you dog, you yeah. dog. I've worked yeah. for three months. I guarantee you, you ain't taking a haircut or working for three months without pay. And that soured me. And I left and went back to the station I'd come from Yep. And then it was made a great pitch a year later to come back. And I I said, you're going to have to work hard. <laughs> and it's not about, you know, the dollar signs. It's about the environment because that mm. environment, that, 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 
director created. But it fits in well with David's. He didn't yes. wouldn't take a haircut. I've heard yeah. that a couple of so times. So I'm happy for him to run with it. But that's <laughs> the truth of it. So we work for three months without without pay. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up. But on the other side of this, I want to speak about when the opposition team has turned the water off or the hot water or no hot water in the showers. Derm, I'm sure you've got some stories there because Donovan Smith from the Kansas City Chiefs, they went to Buffalo, which is about the coldest place on earth. That's an exaggeration, but it's freezing. They won yesterday and beat the Bills and they turned the hot water off in the locker room. Also, the worst feelings in sport. I want to get your thoughts on that. What are some of the really ordinary feelings in sport? We're up and running for Kubota for over 40 years. We're making tomorrow matter, shaping and building Australia together. We want your calls. Derm's in the house. one 736 736 Breakfast on SEN. Joined by the all sorry, the Australian Football Hall of Fame legend Dermot Brereton. This morning we're taking your calls. Lots to discuss. Glenn Maxwell, there's some footy around. Cricket with the BBL last night was extraordinary. And the tennis is getting towards the business end. Ricky Ponting to join us a little bit later on. In the meantime, let's go to Jevy, who wants to speak about the epic NFL games on yesterday. Good morning to you, mate. Hello, Kane. How are you, mate? I'm good. Now, are you the character that text in yesterday and said the Chiefs would win and I said, nah, I reckon the Bills will win. Am I, am I on the right path? I said I said they were absolute certainty pain <laughs> and I wasn't proven wrong, was I? No, you weren't proven wrong, but did you expect the idiot Bills kicker to miss a 44-yard field goal in the dying stages which would have sent it to overtime? Nah, I probably didn't, but you can't say you, he would have sent it to overtime. Mahomes with the ball, a minute 40 left, two timeouts. I reckon he would have just taken it down and kicked his own field goal. What do you reckon? Yeah, prob- probably. I mean, what is what is going on with the Chiefs? It's, it's incredible what they've done. He's just unbelievable, isn't he, Pat Mahomes? Mm. It, it felt like Buffalo tightened right up because they didn't want to give him the ball back and they stuffed up their last drive. And then, yeah, the kicker missed. I think everyone felt the pressure in that building. I well, certainly did. Jevy, just, just on that, and I love the American football, have you ever seen a, a second half of the year choke like <laughs> Phillies? <laughs> no, not at all. Their secondary, their cornerbacks and safeties term was Swiss cheese. Any quarterback could throw on them. Just throw holes through them. <laughs> hey, Jevy, before cheese, we let lovely. you go, give, give your little Instagram podcast, explain it to us and, and give it a pump up. Uh, we're, we're called the 100K Pod on Instacane. It started by, we're just trying to turn 10 bucks into 100K on a multi, but we're a bit more than that. We like, we talk sports, we, a lot of AFL, a lot of old school AFL. A few mm. clips of you on there, Derm, on our interview, you running through huddles and stuff. Uh-huh. We've got, uh, we've got K, some of Kane's highlights. Um, we just love footy, we love sport, love talking about it. So, uh, you, and I love listening to you boys on SEN. I think, yeah, you got any hot footy take for us today, Kane? I'll have, I'll, I'll have some later. Yeah, I, I, it's a bit early in the year, but I'll have, I'll have some later for you, Jevy. So the 100K Club on Instagram, give them a follow. They put all historical vision up. They have a lot of fun. Uh, good group of guys and, and definitely worth a follow if you're into your sport and into your footy. So Tyler Basterms, this, this kicker, he's missed a 44-yard field goal, which is pretty regulation for a field goal kicker to send the game potentially into overtime or to even the scores up. 
it would be probably the worst feeling in sport. So these kickers, they sit on the sidelines for mm. the majority of the game. They, they get paid a pittance of what the rest of the team gets paid. They're, they're almost ostracized from the team because they're not in the physical action. I, I, I assume they don't really feel part of it. And then when they get their one opportunity to come on and miss in a big game like that, and the Bills franchise have been historically tortured. Yeah. I can't imagine how he's feeling, which did get me thinking about the some of the worst feelings in sport. Like, was there ever a goal in a big game that that you missed? I can imagine after the siren miss. Yeah, one. Yeah, but but I agree with you that, that those kickers. I mean, what's his name? The the legendary um, uh, special comments man, John big, Madden. John Madden. He used to do his all Madden team each year and. Uh, you know, he'd pick whoever it was, John Riggins in the running back position and you know, all these legends he'd put in there and, you know, when he's team of the year. And he, one year, one of the sponsors that was like a, a, a paint brand, I think it might have even been Wattle or the similar mm. over there, and the, and the mascot for that paint brand was a, a horse. He, he, he put that horse in with his team as the kicker. That's how they view them. That's how they view the the kickers. You got one job. You, yeah. The old boy, you've got one, one job. job. We want you to be robotic. We don't want you to be part of the boys' club. We just want you to come on and robotically run up and kick the ball, which is stationary on the mm. ground. Which probably Australian rules footballers would know that that makes it more difficult. Mm. Like you play golf. We love we love sports where the ball's moving. There's a there's a natural reflex action, but when it's stationary, as in golf, gee, we kick them everywhere, don't we? Yeah. We hit them everywhere. Um, yeah, he's got one job to bang it through, and they they play for that in a sport which just assumes that they are going yeah, to get that definitely. every time. They yeah. run they run the clock down, and they you're right. They assume that you're going to kick it. He yeah. didn't. Uh, have you in your sporting career? If you're out there, what are some of the Worst feelings in it. We're missing a goal after the sign. We've seen that a hundred times. I reckon dropping the baton in a relay race at the Olympics would, would be an awful feeling. Four oh. years, you're in a team environment. It's not just letting who, yourself yeah. down. You drop the baton. Oh, who was the cyclist? His foot broke out of the stirrup. Yes, Shane Kelly. Yeah, yeah Shane Kelly. He, yeah. It just broke out. You're gone. You miss Done. it. You miss four years of that. Miss yeah. the start. You missed the start accidentally by half a second before you put your power through it. You're gone. So if your foot comes out of the stirrup, just walk off. That's it. There's no catching up from there. So that's what I want to ask you this morning. Those horrible feelings in sport where you just you feel absolutely awful about it because I've got real sympathy for Tyler Bass, who will probably be cut. Like in the offseason, he's now that ruthless that he will now uh, be cut and wasn't just him. There were some other mistakes that were made, but everyone will focus it's a weird on that name, kick. though, isn't it? Tyler, Tyler Bass. Bass. Yeah. 04 double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. That's like a type of fish. <laughs> let us know your thoughts. Uh, i got a good feeling about today's show and our recommendations are for Charlie, Battisti and Co. It's Melbourne's finest facility for the repair of prestige German vehicles. Get your repair process to, uh, started today. Um, and if you've got a recommendation, let us know that off the temper text. We'll be back with you after the news headlines. Asking you, what are some of the worst feelings in sport after the Bills kicker Tyler Bass missed? And a lot of people are pointing out that it was a difficult shot because it was minus four degrees in Buffalo yesterday in, in our measure. And it felt like minus 10 and there were crosswinds. So it was, it was difficult. 
Um, but in the end, that game is going to be remembered for the miss field goal. Uh, lay down Sally, I think is the worst off the temper text. This one, I uh, remember the girls Australian swimming team losing a gold medal once by starting or jumping too early. Um, Kane Corns would be struggling to convert from 25 yards. Uh, absolutely, I would be. <laughs> Uh, Jimmy Steins, Adam. You take says, that on the chin, don't you? Oh, you, have to. Yeah. you have yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's true. Uh, Jimmy Steins, Derm. That was. I it. played in that game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jimmy, he just lost himself and ran through the man on the mark. Gary Bacanara was kicking a goal, and there were probably, yeah. If you had to pick one bloke in twenty years of Hawthorne around that time to, you know, as an opposition team to yep. not kick at goal, um, yeah, he was deadly. 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 So once he got within his range, we were pretty confident. Uh, Roberto Baggio missing the penalty in the World Cup final in 1994. Mm. That was a big one. That's um, hurt. Yeah. What about, what's about the bloke who went to celebrate and throw the ball up? You've just dropped the World Cup against Steve <laughs> War. Against South Africa. Yeah, he was yeah. the opener. His name escapes me for the moment. Yeah. Uh, all right, let us know your thoughts on that. Uh, time for our sports update, Derm. And it's been an interesting Gibbsy. story regarding Glenn Maxwell. Uh, Herschel Gibbs, was it? Herschel Gibbs, yeah. Um, so, look, the, the Herald Sun have written about Glenn Maxwell. He was taken to hospital last Friday after a golfing event in Adelaide. He then went to the pub where he was watching Brett and Shane Lee's band. That's still going, six and out, that band. Amazing that that band <laughs> is still going. Um, anyway, it was rushed to hospital after fainting or, or passing out and then eventually released and Cricket Australia only found out on Monday. He's then been rested from the ODI squad. Cricket Australia saying he's not in relation to that, but... Some would draw rested. Uh, conclusions there. Yeah, rested even though he was named in the squad a fortnight ago. Well, rested um, to get yeah. over a hangover. Yeah, I, I, I don't Just know. Just say they'd left him out. I think we'd all swallow that. Yeah, and now look, now the um, they're alluding to the fact that Glenn Maxwell uh, has had some issues with alcohol. That's you know, the headline in the Herald Sun today. So not not exactly sure. Those close to Maxwell are saying, look, it was just you know, he was dehydrated, had too much to drink, went to hospital, was released, and he was fine a couple of days later. So um, it's either a big story or, or not much to see at all. Stay with cricket. Did you watch the BBL last night? I didn't see it. Saw all the scores. Kept abreast of it last night. Yeah, it must have been. A, what about oh. Brown's innings? That oh, must have been extraordinary. Uh, no, it was. He He was... Smashing like in the absolute sweet spot, you know, almost like a. I think Mark Waugh described it as a once in a lifetime inning. So he made 140 uh, off 57. It included 12 sixes and 10 fours. And you could tell, like, the game was over inside the first five overs. You could just tell it's 12 sixes, made 72 off just stand exactly. and deliver. He was, <laughs> he was on a tear and, and destroyed Adelaide. So they're through to the final, um, which against Sydney, uh, which will be an interesting one. Travis Head, Dermy may have to play the Brisbane test under team isolation protocols after oh, testing COVID. positive for COVID when he felt unwell at the end of the first. I mean, things have changed from a, a few years ago. Yeah, we, <laughs> we'd lock you up <laughs> in solitary confinement jail. for having it, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. COVID, you oh. just about put the Grim Reaper sign on them, wouldn't yeah. you, back in... Two to three years ago. Now, now oh, you can still play sport. Yeah. It makes a mockery of why we weren't allowed to play golf. <laughs> Two Some blokes thing, walking honestly, down. A, yeah, I mean, Some of the things. How could you not allow that? That's just complete and utter idiocy. Well, you Even at the it. time, people I were getting know. called crackpots for saying, 
Oh, come on, let us play golf. <laughs> yeah. yeah, shutting down playgrounds and five-kilometre radiuses and, and a limit on how much you could exercise. Mm. It's, it's ridiculous, some of the stuff we did. But uh, that was the time. No one knew really any better. Uh, this was a, a nasty one and a, a worrying one for Will Pukowski, but mm. eventually he's been cleared of concussion. He was struck in the head and retired hurt in the second 11 game for Victoria. Uh, in the Australian Open yesterday. I wonder if it's a, is, do you think it's a, I mean, you, you know cricket a lot better than me. Is it a technique thing with Will? Like, it can be. It can be. Yeah. I just haven't seen him bad enough. Really, the only exposure we've seen him in mainstream is when he played that in test cricket uh, what's it, three, four, five years yeah, ago now. And his technique looked pretty sound and pretty strong. We thought we had a an opener for the next 10 years. But, um uh, there's, there's a couple of reports coming through. Given that it was a second 11, there's there's no real coverage on it. I haven't mm. seen any mm. yet. Um, some were suggesting he got hit early in the innings and he still put on another 30-odd after it. So that would suggest that he wasn't too bad and they're being overly cautious, if that is the case. Yep, and you can understand why. In the Australian yep. home in yesterday, Alexander Zverev and Cam Norrie, they played an absolute epic Eventually, Zverev won in a fifth set tiebreaker. There was heartbreak for the 19th seed, Alina Svitolina, who retired early in her match against Linda Noskova. I think she and only was... got three games out. Yeah. Mm. Um, not, not, not good there, but good for her opponent to, to walk through on that one. Uh, Alcaraz won, as did Daniil Medvedev. Daniil Medvedev did an excellent interview with Jim Currier on court. After the match, just he was explaining how he and the technique around how he receives serves so far back from the baseline. It was saw that it was a yeah. great insight, yeah, into, just to give him more time to line yeah. up a big power shot and the likes. And sometimes tennis is one of those ones where, if, to the layman, I love watching great tennis players play, but I don't really understand the sport. Mm. So I like it when somebody can turn around and actually say, well, this is the angle we've got to play at. This is why we played these shots. Um, Pat Cash is a, a good friend. Mm. And Pat tells me, like, when somebody, when the racket gets to the top of their backswing on a backhand, he can tell which side of the court they were going to strike it just by the angles of, you know, mm. their, their, their wrist coming down and forward and the like. So... These little things, which none of us can pick up unless you are uber elite and you, your mind works in that way and you can pick those things up. Yeah, it's interesting. So I found that interview fascinating. Yeah, it was. And Jim just handed him the microphone uh, and off he went. So I thought he was a good sport uh, in that one. Some footy, Tim English is going to resume full training next week. I want to speak about that after 7 o'clock. Dustin Martin's missed the last three sessions with Richmond. He's got an ankle issue uh, the Tigers are saying it's not too serious. Angus Brayshaw had his first session involving contact since last year's final series where he was concussed with the collision with Braden Maynard, of course. So that is good news. And we've touched on the NFL yesterday. The Chiefs beat the Bills 27-24. to uh, Patrick Mahomes was on fire once again. Uh, and there were some good scenes in the crowd where Travis Kelsey's brother, Jason, took his shirt off and started sculling a beer with the crowd after his brother <laughs> caught a touchdown pass. That was great scenes, even though it was minus 10 in Buffalo. And the Lions got through in a pretty good game, it must be said, against the Buccaneers, 31-23. to Bunnings Trade can help you get back to work with amazing value on a huge range. Uh, we'll hear from Daniil Medvedev on the other side of this, as well as taking your calls. If you want to speak to Derm, if you want to give us your thoughts on the world of sport, the lines are open. You'll get straight through next.
Breakfast on SEN. It is breakfast on SEN. Derm is in the house, which we are loving. Your calls on the open line, which is 1-300-736-736. Moments ago, we mentioned the interview that Jim Courier gave with Daniil Medvedev after he won his fourth round match yesterday. For those that missed it, here's the insights he gave. Show me where you started. You can take the microphone if you want. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the, the thing is that you called me a master of a return, but I don't think so because my return from close, I don't think is that good. Like, I can, I can do it, but it's not uh, the best. And then you ask Novak or someone else. But, uh, yeah, I started here, and then at one moment uh, with, uh, with my coach, uh, well, or even by myself, uh, you know, I would play uh, some guy that uh, I would come on tour and then there is uh, Joe Wilfred Tsonga who is only doing 220 and I'm like, okay, and I lost the match, I remember, pretty easy, no break points. And I was like, maybe should do something different. So next time I played someone who, who served uh, big, I would go somewhere here. And then I would play someone who served bigger and I would go somewhere here. And then at one moment I understood that I can actually play many guys like this because what it makes me do is when I'm on the ball, I kind of don't hit a return, I hit like a normal top spin shot because when the ball comes to me, it's not anymore, it's in the good position and stuff like this. So uh, at one moment I just understood that uh, that's where uh, my return is the best um, and I started playing better. All right. That's phenomenal. <laughs> it was and he was almost standing by the back wall in the end as he's explaining it. Yeah. Uh, David's given us a call. Uh, you want to speak some cricket, Dave? Welcome. Morning, boys. How are you? Good, Good. mate. Yeah, my um, this is a bit of a conspiracy observation, um, and that is the the lead up to when Dave Warner decided to say that he was retiring. As soon as that happened, the media threw up three openers that would be, you know, uh, in the mix for, to take the position. And then about I don't know a few weeks later, uh, Andrew McDonald was interviewed on the radio, and um, he threw Cameron Cameron Green into the mix which is an interesting, you know, at that time. And then as soon as that was mentioned, people like Langer and a few, a few others came up and started to say, hang on, this is a special, you know, a specific position um, and that, uh, you know, it requires an opener. And then, um, and then after that, uh, all of a sudden, Steve Smith says, oh, he's been thinking about it for six months and he's going to open. And as soon as he says that, everybody backs off. Now, the only reason I bring this up that when Cameron Green was then interviewed just recently about coming back into the test side, he says he thought he was going to be opening. Yeah, it's 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 a weird one, that one. I get the feeling, uh, David, that the selectors want Cam Green in the side. At 24, the great players are already playing test cricket. Is he going to be a great test cricketer? There's no doubt he's a stunning cricketer with a load of talent. He's he's batting as much as it looks good. The, the numbers don't say, and in the required times when you want that number six position, when he's been there, haven't really cut it enough of the time to to say right. This is his. His bowling's pretty good. He gets so much bounce. He's actually pretty sharp for a a, a batting um, uh, all rounder. But, yeah, it's like they wanted to get him in one way or another. And then Smith floated the idea, but it was a float that he knew would be picked up and seized upon as an idea. I'm not so sure that Steve Smith, I mean, he's on a hide into nothing. 
Um, mm. Yeah, if you would if Steve, if we were playing England, if we were playing New Zealand or India, how do you reckon Steve Smith would go as an opener? I, I think he's one of my favorite. He's one of our favorite cricketers of all time. He's one of the greatest players of all time. I just don't like this move. I think he, that all that movement at the crease, he just he doesn't look like a settled opener. I think I think opening bowlers of the great Test nations would like bowling at him. Richard and Billy, stick around. We'll get to your calls on the other side of this. Stack of text coming through as well. Yeah, Cam Green's recent test innings, Derm 625-38-28-0-18-16-3-14. Ricky Ponting to join us on SEM Breakfast. We'll get his thoughts a little bit later on this morning. But Richard and Billy, we'll get to you next. Breakfast on SEM. And Richard's been waiting patiently. Richard, it's a very good morning to you and welcome. You're speaking to Dermot Burden. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, Dermot, I wanted to uh, commend you on your modesty as regards cricket because I've never heard you publicly mention that you actually dismissed a very, very good batsman in Craig Bradley at the MCG some time ago. <laughs> and I was just wondering, I was just, and it's, I was just wondering, how did it compare with, you know, your football achievements and, do you remind Craig sort of cheekily every time you see him? That was uh, sort of what I wanted to ask you. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah, it was good fun. That was one of the, I think that was the David Boone testimony. Somebody sent me the footage of it the other day. It was the first time I'd seen it. Good it's ball. funny. Uh, no, shocker. Should have been oh. put over the fence. Yeah, he just he got it off the toe. It, it just got to him too slow. Um, that was back when you used to be able to bowl... Half sharpish, which yeah. was it wasn't too bad, but about one fifteen for what they would call. Um, but used to be a bit quicker than that when you know twenty year old. Um, now you said I didn't speak out and say it. I did get Greg Chapel out once. Is that right? Yeah, in the Where? Alan Border testimonial, that was actually a good delivery. I just had a leg cutter, and uh, he was kind enough after the game. He got the ball. And uh, he said, he, he wrote on it, Bold uh, uh, G Chapel, Court Marsh, Bold Brereton, G Chapel written on it. So, so it? yeah, of course I have. Yeah, good. <laughs> yeah, so, but yeah, I love my cricket. Would have gone on, David, to probably play second somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but I do love it. I do love it. Good Thanks for the call. On you, Richard. Billy, you stick around as well. You want to speak about Cam Green. A lot of uh, text coming through on him. Playing Cam Green is a bit like playing a big, young, raw key forward. You know he probably doesn't deserve a game, but you know you need to get him games because he'll be clunking marks and kicking bags in no time, says Mozza. We are flying through this morning. Busy first hour. Derm's in ripping form. Ricky Ponting to join us shortly. Breakfast on SEM. Hope you're having a magnificent morning. It's a very good morning to you. If you're just waking up to us for the first time this morning, it is Tuesday, the 23rd day of January, and we're talking sport with you. Dermot Brereton, the Australian Football Hall of Fame legend, is with us, filling in for Sammy Edmund, who is still a little bit under the weather on the McCafe menu. Ricky Ponting is going to join us, thanks to the award-winning Ponting Wines. Jose Morgado is an international tennis rider getting really serious at the Australian Open. Novak Djokovic bumped off prime time, which I've got to say, I love and I support him. I'm a bit bored of, of Novak and, and doing what he's doing as much oh, as I, I respect him. Derby. History, history. Every time yeah. he wins. 
It's I know. one on history. How can you not no, be someone so, who wants so to the, watch that happen? No, so the thing, I, I, I will definitely want to watch it as he gets towards the semi-final and, and the final, but th- there seems to be a big stir every time he's not on the primetime slot. So they've gone for Sinner and Rublev tonight at the Australian Open. Djokovic is going to play Fritz, the American, at 2.30 at Melbourne time today. I'd, I'd rather watch... Sinner and Rublev in a real contest, and I think that one will go the distance tonight. The Novak do what he's probably going to do to everyone, and that's decimate the number 12 seed, Taylor Fritz. What would you rather watch? Uh, can I be absolutely blunt with you? Yeah. I'd work out the time difference and see what the biggest rating is going to be into America yeah. with Taylor Fritz. <laughs> yeah, so what would – yeah, well, I mean, you could, we, we could easily work that. So you think they've erred here. The I, 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 I would think that you want the the best player deserves the right. If you are the number one seed, you deserve the right to play on the biggest court because if somebody comes up and plays against you, whether win, lose or draw, however they go, it is at that stage perhaps the biggest game of their life against mm-hmm. the numero uno. I, I think if you're number one seed, you deserve centre court. Okay, I've got I've got no issue with still centre court. It's just not the time. Oh, okay, slot. So, it's, the it's, slot, so he's yeah. got to play during the day instead of two o'clock. I think is scheduled at, at night. The moment. Yeah, yeah, it is. So yeah. see, Mark Philippoussis is scheduled today, and he's he? playing with Marcus Bagdadis in a Legends game. I think it's the it's the kickoff game today. Yeah, it'd be interesting <laughs> to go and see. Day of the day. Yeah. Bagdadis, he, he had one of the biggest dummy spits we've ever seen. Like he just broke about five rackets in a row like one year at the history, but he was a character. Don't you love those? Oh, so I mean, but you got to go back to Illy Nastasi for all those hotheads. They're great to watch. Well, you don't get them anymore, Derm, because of the technology. So you don't get the, the McEnroe. Well, you can't break the racket. Well, you, well, you, well you, they get frustrated at themselves, but mm. you don't get the blow-ups with the umpires anymore. I tell you that's what. completely out. There's no lines person. There's no umpire making decision from the chair and overruling. I think we've lost just a little, as good as, I mean, you want the accuracy and you want the right decisions mm. made, but for the theatre of it, you don't get those blow-ups. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was watching the other night the boy who knocked over uh, Dimonor. Mm. Uh, Rublev. Yep. And yeah, he's Russian. I thought he should be Spanish. He should be he should be Italian. He should be one of those hot-blooded nations. He he, he looks nothing like a Russian. He, his <laughs> demeanor and persona is nothing like a Russian. You know, they're quite dour. I'm yeah. I'm generalizing yes. here obviously. So forgive me if you get offended. Uh, yeah, he's not that dour. Hmm, I hit ball back over net type, you know. He he's like hot-blooded. He argues with himself. He looks at his coach. His coach looks back at him and he starts yelling at his coach yeah. as if the Coach has hit the wrong shot. Yeah, he's really hot-blooded. And I thought, he shouldn't be Russian. And he's got a huge forehand. So that's what yeah. I want to see tonight. Was it Was it the right call not to have Novak tonight? Are you, are you just a bit, I don't know, are you a bit sick of Novak with his dominance? And it becomes a little bit boring. Derm thinks they should have put the number one seed on tonight. You got some support time. off the, off the uh, text too. Couldn't agree more, Kane, from Matt. Novak is the most boring player to watch. I don't know how the best player in the world can be boring. Is well, is it boring just winning? Is it? Well, I think the, the the yeah it is when you are so <laughs> when you are so dominant it becomes it's boring winning. It, not not for him oh. and his team, uh, but it does for the rest of us with no Aussies left. It becomes a little bit boring. What do you think, Jeff?
Kano, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> on Sunday, when uh, Dokovic played old mate number 20 in the world, I don't even know his name, but six love, six love, two one in the third. Yeah, Marinaro. Like, uh, yeah, he was like Winks when he turned to home, six lengths in front, just eased down to win 6 3. He got a reality Rublev. check. Yeah, <laughs> Rublev and uh, the other bloke tonight, it's four versus five. Yeah. That's, that's the best game of the day, you know, when you get that. And then as soon as you get Dokovic playing Carlos Alcaraz, He'll be back mm. on the night one. Don't worry about that. Yeah, yeah no sure. doubt. I mean, there was a bit of a stir about Alex Demonor being given the primetime slot over Novak. I was like, are you, are you kidding? We've got an Australian. Of course you're going to put them uh, on primetime. So no issue with it. I think they've they've made the right hey, call. Just you mentioned, we talk a little bit later with BP and some other guests, but that Alcaraz, does he have superstar oh written all my over goodness. him? goodness. Hey, how'd you like to be the marketing agent for him? What are we witnessing there? I mean, <laughs> see, BP, um, he'll join it. He's been, I reckon, oh, wasn't uh, an out there statement, but two or three years ago, he said he's going to win uh, double digit Grand Slams, I think it was. And I sort of, I sort of scoffed at him and said, BP, r- r- really? Um, and he said, no, this, this guy's special. And but he's got game, he's got look, he's, he's got sex the, appeal. All of that. Yeah. yeah. And I'll, he's, he's competitive, but he's fierce, but in a no, he's got a nice nature about him. The legs on him. I said this yesterday morning. He's got these big legs and the power, the way that he moves across the court. So you're right. When was when was the first time you've seen someone and gone, wow, this guy's going to be absolutely anything? So look, let's hope he can. I'd love to see him win it. I'd love to see him win the Australian Open. I think a, a lot of people would. You can check out our socials. We've put a poll up. And don't forget the Toyota Caller of the Year is back starting next Monday. It's your chance to win a 2024 Toyota Hilux GR Sport. All thanks to our great friends at Toyota. If you want a Hilux, they're terrific cars. There's stock available now. Just contact your local Toyota dealer. Now, I've got one for you off the off the text from Noddy. Timmy Franklin, this fellow who's yeah. running around the world, Kane. His name's Timmy Franklin. He runs 50 to 80 kilometres a day. One of those things everyone should know. Mm. Almost 25,000 miles. 40,000 kilometres. One uh, circumnavigation of the world. You've got 8,000 to go. Have you heard about this fellow, Timmy Franklin? I have. I have heard about him. I feel a a little bit guilty because when it it first started. You're not running it with him? No, not not that. When he he first started, I was all in. I was like, this is unbelievable. And I was following him and I was invested. But as it's sort of gone on, because it's such a long exercise, I I lost. It wasn't at the top of my mind. So thank you for. He's the Novak Djokovic of the running world, is he? Just getting it done, but you're not interested. Well, he's just, no, he's just you, you, your ordinary guy. This is what makes it special, what he's doing. He's just your ordinary bloke who just got up and said, I'm going to do this for a good cause. I'm going to do something extraordinary, and, and that continues. So, a bit uh, of Forrest Gump about him. Just exactly. Keep running. I've got him up on Instagram at the moment. His handle is Timmy R. Franklin, if you want to follow along. He's currently running in Romania, and he's done 18,800 kilometres uh, done. Uh, do I want to talk some footy? Because the AFL were going to crack down on a couple of things uh, in the off-season, a few rule tweaks. You can't jump so. and smother and hurt someone. You're in trouble there. But they've also cracked down on clubs. So this is what they said. Clubs must ensure that all medical information issued to the media is credible, oh, yeah, responsible, and specific in terms that they are meaningful to teams, media, and fans. This includes the information in the weekly injury reports and information on injuries announced to the media during matches. 
Well, the Western Bulldogs have failed their first test, but they're not the only ones. And I wonder whether the AFL will find the dogs or whether there'll be a twenty thousand dollars is the is the is the the sort of Damocles hanging over their head, isn't it? You get it wrong, you deliberately mislead the information as to the reporting of injuries to the media. Um, yeah, I believe it is up to twenty thousand dollars. So I wonder if the preseason is a grey area. So perhaps that's a get out here. But Tim English, I mean, everyone was guessing what was wrong with him. I saw all sorts of journalists going to training and saying, Tim English is on light duty. He's not exactly sure what the issue is. Then it became, as more journalists did some digging, Xander Maguire said it was a concussion-related incident. Then others sort of jumped on the back of that, which forced the Western Bulldogs to release a statement. They confirmed that Tim English suffered some migraine-related symptoms in the weeks prior to Christmas. Uh, As he suffered concussions in the past, the club uh, wanted to be thorough and diligent in Tim's management and engage medical specialists. Uh, Essentially, they completed all of this. They found out that it wasn't uh, related to concussion. It was just more of a migraine. His symptoms have now resolved, and he will progress back into full training. So that was Jan 22, and this happened prior to Christmas. And we've got everyone guessing, what the hell is wrong with Tim English? One of the best ruckmen in the game. He's on light duties, and the Western Bulldogs didn't tell anyone, which led everyone to jump to conclusions. Is, Is that worthy of a... I mean, they should be. They really should be fined over this, and it should serve as a warning to other clubs. There is the one no grey area. Yeah, the, the one grey area is there is still, on some personal matters of uh, Probs, injury, yeah. where you should be able to keep your basic human right of exercising that 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 Do element of uh, of a privacy. Migraine? slash concussion. I don't think it is, but it's bordering bordering into that area because it's got to do with the brain, mental health. It's starting to enter into that. I don't know whether it does sit in it or sit slightly outside, but it's it's already a little bit grey. I think this, I mean, the basic premise of this rule is to stop teams saying, Oh yes, he's he's got a you know a, a, a sprained ankle. He'll be out for another week. He's actually got a cracked tibia. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, not yeah. he's not going to play six or seven weeks. So yeah, but I mean the 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 the, the people who uh, televise telecast this game they've paid four and a half billion dollars for the exactly rights to right. do so. Well, so they deserve to get some accuracy from the clubs when they're reporting on injuries. Exactly. So I, I just wonder and, and speculate whether clubs are still going to take the mickey. I mean, we, we, I, I read yesterday Dion Prestia is in, on light duties at Richmond. Well, what, what's wrong with Dion Prestia? He's got a history of hamstring injuries. Are they just resting him? Why isn't that information being released? Dustin Martin has missed three training sessions. Now, Richmond have, have said that it's an ankle injury, but how quickly did they provide that information to the media for the game's biggest name? It's just an ankle that should be immediately released uh, to the media. So uh, yeah, I wonder whether it's just worth the AFL and Laura Kane releasing a, it might a significant be. warning on, on the just just a warning whether the dogs get a suspended fine or not. It but this seems was, like they're going to go with "We'll tell you the truth when you ask." Exactly right. This was a month ago, and we've just got a statement from the Western Bulldogs. The Western Bulldogs now one three hundred seven three six. Seven three six. Uh, Cam Mooney's at the the Giants term, and you're the perfect person to speak about this. Whether clubs should use specialist coaches on a part time basis more often. You've done a lot of consulting at the Giants in in the early days. How does it how does it work? 
And is it an untapped resource? You've got all these retired specialist players that would be more than willing to help out on a part-time basis. Won't cost you a whole lot in the soft cap. Is that a good move from the Giants to, to use big moons? I think so. Cam wasn't a fan of the Giants early on, the, the whole concept. So, In what way? Uh, he just believed that there were other teams needed. When they came in, he just thought there were other teams needed more financial assistance than bringing in a totally new team. A new one. But, but he's... I will say this, uh, I think Moons is fantastic and he's a good friend through work. He is one of the best hardworking people in the media you'll you'll come across. Mm. He's a mm. ripper of a bloke. Is it worthwhile for clubs to do this? Yes. And the reason being, have a look at every club. You have coaches who end up, well, the ultimate aim for a lot of them unless they put a ceiling on themselves because they recognise the floor. They mightn't be able to present well or project well, but they know their footy craft inside yep. out. So they say, right, I'm a, a, my aim is to be a line coach and that's where I'll stop, or my aim to be uh, is to be a, a senior coach. That is my ultimate aim. So you have these coaches, and more often than that, there's always been more midfielders in the comp than, than anyone else. Most of these guys are midfielders. So it ends up you've got somebody with a fantastic football mind and he's a midfielder. He's played midfield his whole life. He's mm. in charge of the backs mm. or he's in charge mm. of the forwards. What would a five foot eleven <laughs> midfielder know about true body positioning yeah. positioning? In contest, what would that five foot eleven midfielder, who's a wonderful player, great knowledge of the sport and the way it works, what would he know about the the trigger moment for a forward to move and in what direction and mm, for what mm, reason? Mm. What would he know about that? So yeah, I I do believe the the specialist coaches in those areas, especially for forwards, is one. And and it gets onto an, just a brief touch on this. Every kid who's over six foot four, six foot five these days has basically gone through his entire junior career as a ruck mm. in his local footy. He gets to TAC or he gets to the junior level and he still might be in the ruck. Or suddenly at 17 years of age, or oh, you know what, you're, you're actually not big enough to go up against Sam Draper or, or you know, the other six Your foot last, ten. Yeah. Six foot ten ruckman, hundred and fifteen kilos. You're six foot five, and you're ninety eight kilos. You're just not big enough. We're going to turn you into a key forward. Mm. He's never learnt the art of it, and it is something which is either instinctive or learnt through trial and error over a, an enormous amount of time in a player's career. So you do have to try. And find, oh, I hate the words fast track, but mm. you do have to find somebody who can sell them and, and teach them about all those trigger moments and the likes. Yeah, I like it too. I really do. I think it's a, an area that a lot of clubs should explore. The Western Bulldogs have done similar with Brad Johnson. Yep. He's coming in as a specialist. Like, who better could you get than Jono to come in? They don't have the, the full pressure of the hours that these assistant coaches are working. They can come in with a fresh set of ideas and a fresh mindset and some energy to the group. And it's an untapped resource that I think a lot of clubs, particularly since the soft cap has been slashed a little bit, 
um, could be using. This is SEM Breakfast. We're powered by Kubota for over 40 years. We've been making tomorrow matter, shaping and building Australia together. The weather update is for City Power. Now, this summer, be prepared for extreme weather and sign up to SMS outage alerts at unitedenergy.com.au slash notify. In Melbourne today, headed for a top of 28 degrees. The 40 winks temper text, it's flying. We'll get through a, a lot of those next. The Temper Pro is Temper's most adaptive mattress ever. It's here temper a mattress like no other we'll continue the conversation next breakfast on SEM something extraordinary in the BBL last night Michael has given us a call and he wants to speak about it Michael what's your thoughts have you seen anything like it what's that the BBL yeah the, the, Um, the innings last night it was a great innings, but, you know, the thing that disturbs me about the BBL is I, playing the Gold Coast, great idea, no one shows up. It's a preliminary final, for God's sake. Play it somewhere where... Play it in Townsville. They'll get a crowd, at least, if you can't play at Brisbane. And then, second point is, my wife, we were flicking between it, and it was mesmerising watching the cricket. She said, how come the two same teams are playing each other in a game? And I said, no, no, no. One's Adelaide and one's Brisbane. She said, haven't they got away uniforms, number two? And number three, the BBL, I think they should put two New Zealand franchises in, one for the North, one for the South Island. I, I think it just needs it. I wouldn't well, mind yeah. that. I, I don't mind the concept of having a couple of New Zealand teams. I think that would be fantastic. It was ridiculous, the kits that The colours, yeah. I've got in front of it. Honestly, they look exactly the same. Just a different shade of blue, really, is the, is the only difference. Yeah, so, even the thunder and the stars are a different green, aren't they? And you can... You can pick them. You've got to be colourblind if you can't pick that. But, yeah, they were confusing last night. Josh Brown, the player of the match. He made 140 off 57. He brought his 100 up off 41 balls. He hit 12 sixes and 10 fours with a strike rate of 245. He makes cricket bats. Doom, this saw guy. that. He used his yeah. own cricket bat. Um, yeah. I've just said, so I was watching a bit of the tennis last night and, I didn't get to see it, but I'm watching the, um, when we get time, watching the, the highlight package now. My God, this boy's a clean hitter, isn't he? he which, just, which one? Uh, Brown. Bra- uh, no, oh, no, I'm saying, oh, yeah, yeah, for the highlights I've been watching this morning. Oh, yeah. He's such a clean striker of the ball. It's, it's Some blokes just look like they have a heavy bat and their hands are just so powerful around the grip that there's no give on the strike of the ball. The hands don't flex or move at all. They're just so strong through the ball. He seems to be one of those. He's a really interesting background too. He was still you know, 22 and he was playing local thirds in Queensland. Well, he only decided to, to get you. get serious about it. How many of these people are out? How many of these sports people are out there? We see it from time to time. Like Tom Stewart is the best example that I've seen. Yep. We, like, this guy's running around playing local. Like, what an... How many of them are now? Brooksy, our producer, is huge on this. He reckons there is talent everywhere, everywhere? yeah, un, untapped. And so there's no one he doesn't speak to, Joel. That, that's <laughs> it. So this this guy last night at 22 is playing. Would you say third? Yeah, he's playing well in 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 Brisbane uh, cricket in their <laughs> their um their, their highest yeah. league. Um, but it's it's thirds. And he's gone the from street. there in 18 months. He's then playing, for, I think, in Queensland's second. 11. That's an enormous rise. Imagine if you were trundling into bowl of this bloke in the thirds. Next time you turn on the TV, he's belting them around 
everywhere. Yeah. So oh four double three nine out eleven sixteen. We do this from time to time. Is there that much talent out there? Like, because every now and then we get examples of this, and it makes you think. I mean, what else? What else is out there? And if channeled in the right way through the right pathways, this talent and that ball hitting ability, how many are so, out there? And we we have Ryan Harris on the show. Yeah. I, I don't. It'd be interesting to ask him next time we get the chance uh, on the station. Here's. Um, just how good a bat he thought he was, and was it clearly his dominant, his dominant uh, uh, um, right. go-to rather yeah. than bowling? I've heard that it was better. He was better as a youngster as batting than he was at bowling, and then it came on and took off. Be interesting to see how truthful that is, because a lot of these are. Oh, you want to see the younger brother? He's even better. <laughs> but the, the only time I've ever heard that was at Hawthorne. <laughs> We had a bloke called, who was a fantastic woman called Jeff Ablett, and they say, "Oh, you want to see the younger brother, <laughs> Kevin Ablett? Well, he was a reasonable player. Oh, you want to see the younger brother than him? His name's Gary Ablett." I said, "Oh, yeah, all right, yeah, but <laughs> heard that oh, no, yeah, yeah, we've been we've fallen in for that one already." <laughs> <laughs> How good was he? Uh, Matt says, you nailed it, Derm. I coached 196-centimetre Ruckman, who played in other positions for experience in under-17s. Now moving into seniors, he's a key back slash forward. Hasn't learnt the craft. Not sure he'll get the craft coaching at a local club uh, level. That That's off the back of Cam Mooney joining the Giants and actual specialist coaches for specialist positions and also the positions that so, young junior players have played, then they're forced to play somewhere else and they don't have the craft and they need to be fast-tracked. Under, under 15s, all the mm. kids I coached, they um, <laughs> they were like, why do we need this? You know, the agility ladders you put out in the yep. ground? Under 15s kids, I had that and I made them go through the steps. You know why? Because I made them do the same as I wanted a boy by the name of Hayden McLean to do. Because I could see him start to get longer in his stride and lumber a bit around the ground. I thought, he's got to keep some agility. And, uh, yeah, we, we kept his feet working and he's turned into a pretty reasonable player now. He looks good now, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah, I think the sky's the limit. Well. Uh, the sky's the limit for him. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. We'll take a couple of your calls on the other side of the news headlines. Derm wouldn't be pre-season without the stories of players changing positions, and we see that from from time to time. I want to ask you the question: When when do you know it's right for someone to change position? I'll give you a couple of examples. So, Isaac Rankin, specialist small forward. If you look at any of the champion data ratings, he, he yep. is rated as elite in all of that. Now wants to spend some more time. Um, in the midfield. Is, is that the right move for someone like Isaac Rankin? Or if you are a specialist at a specialist position, which we've been speaking about this morning, just stay there and be the best in the competition at that position. When, when do you know? I suppose the maturity of a footballer, he actually knows how he can best serve the team. Um, and I would say his, his talent is, I'm not going to put him the equal of Cyril Rioli, but you look at the, the career path of Cyril Rioli and he had brief periods where he would go into the middle and he could just take the ball away. The opposition teams just couldn't stop his evasiveness out of the centre square at the centre bounce. And, and that would be devastating for 15 minutes in a match. And it might happen once every three weeks. I think he's got to sort of learn a little bit of that now to... Hey, the ball's, 
you know, it's gone their direction now, the centre, four times in a row this quarter. Um, we need one going our way. Do I? And he's got wonderful feet. His, his ability mm. to exit a, a, a dead end is fantastic. You see that, by the way, he's able to get shots at goal. If he can actually go into the centre bounce two or three times in a row, change the direction of which the ball was going and get it going Adelaide's way. I think that's invaluable. So that's a maturity aspect, I would Could say. Could he be Adelaide's version? So this this is where I'd want him to get to if I was a Crow supporter of the club. Could he be Adelaide's version of um, Shea Bolton at Richmond? Could could he do what yeah. Shea Bolton? Yeah. Like he's, dev- he's devastating. In yeah. Wherever he goes. But midfield, centre bounce, centre bounce forward, get a matchup that he likes from the centre bounce, take them forward, electric speed, one of the more devastating players. I'd agree with you. To, Absolutely. To a, to a lesser extent, Papley. Like, Papley's done a, a bit of... Maybe that's the benchmark for this. That you look, you're a small forward, but if we need impact, you've got to be able to go in the centre bounce. You've got to be impact, able so. to change something in the middle if you're going in there. I, I mean, they're so dangerous up forward. You're... you're are you robbing Peter to pay Paul? Mm. But if Paul's not getting paid at all, it's not getting down there. You, you'd think about throwing him in for seven, eight minutes. Yeah, I love that. But, and you don't up. want to blow him up, though. You don't want to turn him into an absolute hard-running midfielder that blows up because he's a burst player. There's a big difference. as You, 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 you mm. spanned the divide, your career, where you, you went out there and – uh, you're not old enough to have played on the likes of Rob Harvey. Rob Harvey would drill players into the ground. They teams used to go out and say, "All right, these are the two we're tagging Rob with today. We'll 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 use you, Woodsy, for the first 75 minutes, and we know Rob will run you into the ground and kill you physically. Yeah. And 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 next crumb, one up. yeah, next second cab off the rank is you when 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 we when he's dead. Um, you span that divide, but now we yeah, have so, so it's much. Different now. Like, yeah, it's interchange is taking care of that, and it's more power. So yeah. look, the prototype is now Dangerfield when he sort of first came on. I had a couple of cracks at him, but the, the speed and the power is next level. Look at the power that Petrarca can possess. Dustin Martin, Nat Fife, like prime Nat Fife. That that's where it evolved to. But to that point, it's up to Isaac Rankin to get himself. To that level. I mean, Gary Ablett Jr. wasn't naturally an aerobic runner, but he got himself to an elite level through genuine hard work. I don't think the aerobic stuff comes naturally to Petrarca, but the work that he's transformed his body and the work that he's done to, he can now go spend eight, nine, ten minutes through the midfield to go. I think there was a wake-up call for him where he can now go and uh, impact in a prelim final through the midfield and not as a forward where he did used to blow up. So that's on the player, I reckon, and Isaac's more than capable of doing that. Interesting, isn't it, that, I mean, we had a, a young lad at Hawthorne, Willie Rioli, and Willie was talented enough to play league football. But, I mean, when Dunstall beat him in the 4K time trial, we said, oh, <laughs> he ain't playing midfield. I mean, that was the yardstick. If the pig could beat you, <laughs> you weren't playing in the midfield. Because in yesteryear, you had to be able to run on ball. Mm. Not that you would, but you had to be of a fitness where you could run on ball for four quarters. I mean, Johnny Platten went two years and didn't didn't change off. off the ball. Yeah. <laughs> he, he ran on ball for two years. And he made Richard Loveridge retire because Richard couldn't play in the forward pocket. 
He, he just didn't possess Give those gifts. Give someone else a go, Johnny. Yeah. And it was, poor old Richard was sitting in the forward pocket going, gee, when's he going to change? <laughs> he had to wait 40 games for him to get tired and change. So it's a different era now. It is, it is a power burst game now, isn't it? You, you get your seven minutes on, you get your four off or thereabouts. It's a different world. Who at your club could benefit from a positional change? I see at the Bombers, Jake Kelly's going to pine the wing. I'm, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure Jake, Jake Kelly good aerially, but uh, makes me nervous every time he's got the footy in, in his hands. So I'm not sure you want him with the footy across the wing. But anyway, if someone at your club needs a positional change, let us know. Uh, it's all happening at the Australian Open. One of the renowned international tennis journalists is Jose Morgado, and he's going to join us next. Breakfast on SEN. Gearing up towards the business end of the Australian Open and one man who is following it very, very closely is international tennis journalist joining us from Portugal this morning. Jose Morgado is his name. Jose, thanks for your time on SEN. And thank you for having me. We'll start with the uh, the men's side first because I guess there's no real surprise, as you pointed out on your Twitter account, that the last time the top six men's seed all made the quarterfinals of a slam was in 2012 at the French. We've got that again here. So no significant upset so far. Yeah, the only the only top eight player that, that lost pretty early was Olga Rune. Um, that was a bit of an upset in the in the second round against a, a French wildcard, Arthur Cazot. But apart from that, all the all the biggest favorites for the title, they they are winning and they are really winning pretty comfortably because uh, Djokovic lost a couple of sets in the first two rounds and obviously Alcaraz lost lost a set as well in the second round. But but all of them are 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 playing well and I think they are getting better and better as the as the week progresses, also mm. Zverev, who survived to to fifth set tiebreaks, was maybe the the fifth contender to the to the to the title before the the top four. So so for now, all good and all ready for a great a great quarterfinals and a, gr- a great second week of the Australian Open on the men's side. Jose, we were having a, a little bit of a debate here before whether Novak is great to watch or boring to watch because he just wins so uh, he's prolific the way he wins and he's so methodical. How will he go down in history? I think he'll probably go down in history as the best player that ever played the game. But but I I guess that the opinions on if he's boring or if he's amazing or if he's fantastic, it will pretty much depend on on if you like him or not, or if you are a, um, a Djokovic fan or a Federer fan or a Nadal fan, because he's very efficient. His, his average level is very high, so most of the times he doesn't need to be spectacular to be to win matches after matches. So I can understand that for some people he's boring because he keeps winning and he keeps winning uh, against pretty much everybody, and he, 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 has, he has done a lot of winning in the last 15 years. So so it it can be boring for some fans that that uh, that the player is still beating everybody at 36 years old. But I think that he got some opposition uh, for this tournament. He's a 10-time champ, obviously the man to beat. But I think that, that we'll, he'll, he will be tested. Probably, maybe probably not against Stella Fritz in the quarterfinals, but I think a possible match in the semifinals against Yannick Sinner will be very tough for the, for the world number one. Well, I love watching boring winners. <laughs> 
<laughs> where, where do you sit, Jose, on the, on on that debate? As as a journalist, are you allowed to have an opinion on on your thoughts on Novak? Are you a big fan or just a just respect of what he's done? Yeah, I I I, I have to respect all the big three. My my favorite big three player was Roger Federer. So so now that he doesn't play, I I can pretty much say that freely. But obviously, he, he, he was my favorite in terms of game style. But but I have to I have to say that I'm I'm enjoying watching Djokovic more and more as the time goes by. I think that he that he's he's enjoying himself more on court now that he got all the records. And I I love the the story that he that he talked about about being friends with a tree in 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 Melbourne. So so. Yeah, I, I'm enjoying more and more watching Djokovic comp- compete in the way he competes. Because obviously he, he got a special temperament, and and I can understand why some people don't like him. But but yeah, you you really have to respect a player that that won 24 Grand Slams and and he's 36 years old, and you don't feel that he's that old. Mm. It's kind of crazy when you compare, for example, with with Rafa Nadal, who's one year older and and spent the last season entirely out or with Roger Federer where he, when he was 36 and everybody was talking about how good he was at that age but you don't really talk about Djokovic's age and I think that's amazing. Yeah, the way he presents physically is phenomenal. Uh, can you tell us Alex Dimonor, the other night, you know, he, he took a couple of sets by tie break and he looked like the emotion was running high and Rublev eventually wore him down and just knocked him over completely in the final set. Number 11 in the world is not to be sneezed at. It's an awesome effort. But what needs to happen to his game? If you were his hardcore coach, from what you see, what added extras would you need to put into his game so he gets deep into the top 10 worldwide? I think he's getting better. He's getting better every season. Obviously, his week uh, at the United Cup was, was pretty massive, obviously beating... Uh, three top ten players beating Zverev in Djokovic. Uh, yep. Djokovic wasn't at one hundred percent, okay, but it's still Djokovic and it's still a great win. And he beat Zverev in the final, in the semifinals as well. And that was, I think, massive for him. But I, I need, I think that he needs a good, a very good uh, slam run, a good, very good slam result. And he had that chance uh, this week, at least, to reach the the quarterfinals. Obviously, we know that he he got a. A pretty terrible record against seniors. So even if he if he beat um, uh, Rublev, he probably would have a tough time against Sinner. But I think he needs a, a great slam result to, to 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 go deep into the top ten. I think he's getting better. His serve is getting is getting stronger and he's getting better. Obviously, his foreign uh, improved a lot. I think he improved in the last couple of seasons on clay, where where he struggled uh, so much. So I think that. He needs a couple of details to to start beating those kind of players in yeah. the in the big events, but I think he's getting better. Obviously, he entered the top the top ten uh, uh, two weeks ago. He was the first first Australian in in 70 years, I believe, to to do it. So I think he's getting there. You guys just have to to have a bit more patience. <laughs> oh, we're Aussies. We don't have patience. <laughs> we, don't have, we don't have a lot. Uh, Jose, before we let you go, the, the, the ladies' side a little bit different. I think there's four unseeded players through to the quarterfinals. Who do you like? I mean, Coco Golf looks red hot. 
Yeah, I think the 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 woman's draw is is kind of it's kind of crazy to be honest because because the only two two of the two of the the favorites survived uh, till the quarterfinals and and um, this this time actually uh, all the all the big all the big favorites on the women's side they arrived in in good form because Iga Swiatek uh, won all her matches at, at the United Cup in singles. Elena Rybakina won a title in Brisbane. In the first week of the season, Coco Golf won a title as well. Sabalenka was playing well, so I was expecting that th that the big players would make the the quarterfinals. They did on the bottom side of the draw with with still a possible semi-final between Sabalenka and Golf, but on the top half it was uh, it was crazy. At the moment, I believe the Chinese uh, talented young woman Zheng Wen is the favorite to reach the final, but it's very wide open because. Mm. I can see pretty much all of them making the finals. Noskova, Yastremska, obviously, and Kalinskaya. But I think Zenkin Wen is the favorite to make the final on that side. And, and Sabalenka, yeah. if I had to pick a winner at the moment, I will go with Sabalenka winning back-to-back. -back. Good on you, mate. Loving your work and your coverage. Appreciate your time this morning. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Quarterfinal action at the Australian Open, gearing up Jose Morgado, our guest. Breakfast on SEN. Oh, it's been a busy couple of hours on SEN Breakfast. Dermot Brereton is here, the Australian Football Hall of Famer, a legend. And we've been speaking about, look, a lot of sporting topics, but also the, the untapped talent that is out there in the community. Yeah. After Josh Brown did what he did last night in the BBL, Richard says, remember, remember David Warner was playing local T20 in a Sydney league for Bondi when he got discovered? Hey, they Nathan... threw him in against New Zealand in, in the one day, uh, and he just went berserk. And, and it was like the first time, myself as a, a cricket yeah. lover, watch somebody just sort of rock onto the back foot and then come forward, get under the pitch of the ball and just knock it out wow. of the ground. It was extraordinary. Well, Nathan Lyon was a curator uh, here in Adelaide, and he, he was discovered that way, I think it was. Uh, let us know your thoughts, 0433 <laughs> Speaking of cricket, one of the smartest minds we've got in this country, Ricky Ponting, to join us next. Breakfast on SEN. The award-winning Ponting Wines bring to you the wonderful world of wine. It's the wonderful world of wine. Use the code SEN at checkout for free delivery if you don't mind. That's pontingwines.com.au. And joining us from Ponting Wines is a big-name guest. His name is Ricky Ponting. Ricky, thanks for your time. No worries, guys. What is the, the wine of choice this summer? What's your recommendation? Oh, look, it's always hard to go past the Tasmanian wines in our range, to be, to be totally honest, Kane. I'm obviously <laughs> born and bred down there, and I've made sure that I've got four uh, Tasmanian wines in the in the lineup: two Pinot Noirs, a Pinot Gris, and a Tasmanian Chardonnay. So I think anyone listener, listener out there that uh, wants to sample our wines, you won't go far wrong if you get into the Tasmanian. Have stuff. you got a, yes. a, Have you got an exclusive paddock or a, a field? Hey, how you going, Pandora? It's Dermot here. Have you got an exclusive field that gives you your best wine? Oh, we've got a few regions in Tassie that we. I mean, basically, our, our wines are all from Tasmania and South Australia. So um, we don't we don't have we don't own a winery as such. We pretty much get our winemaker to hand hand pick um, grapes from certain regions that 
but he knows uh, um, great wine-producing areas. So he's he's based in the Clarenvale in South Australia. So he knows you know Adelaide like South Australia like the back of his hand, and he goes around and hand selects um, from South Australia, and then it's up to me to get down to my home state and basically go door knocking to all the great <laughs> vineyards and wineries down there and see what uh, they're willing to give up for us. But um, so that's where we're at at the moment. You know, we're about four years into the, the business now. The, the vision is to one day eventually own our own vineyard um, and winery and, and probably have a little cellar door somewhere as well. But that's uh, that's a fair way down the track yet. Awesome, mate. I'll get into a Pinot Noir uh, as soon as possible. Hey, we heard a lot about the West Indies, you know, not fielding the best team possible. And I was thinking back to a, a couple of seasons ago, I saw young players on the rise, uh, like Shim Hetmeyer, He's 27 now, hasn't played test cricket for four years. Why can't they keep these boys playing test cricket at what should be the peak time of their career, you know, like late 20s to early 30s? I mean, it would be a different world for them. Oh, there's no doubt about that, Dermot. I mean, they've got guys like Nicholas Poren as well. I know, you, I know you love your cricket, but they, you know, they've got their best talented, most talented players are not playing international cricket because of... Um, how little they're getting paid for their national contracts, basically. I mean, I, I think the top the top West Indian contract, and I might be I might be a little bit out here, but I think the top top West Indian international contract is probably somewhere around a 150 to 200 thousand US dollars to play, obviously to play T20s one days and Test cricket for your country. And mm. guys like Hetmyer and Poren are playing, you know, in South Africa at the moment or in the UAE at the moment. Probably making you know four or five times that for a two-month tournament uh, to play T20 domestic cricket, um, franchise cricket. So, you know, I've said for years that with countries like the West Indies and you know even even Sri Lanka and, and New Zealand even to to that matter, the, the ICC have to really take control and somehow have um, you know almost like a, a blanket policy, if you like, on on match payments or or um, minimum contracts for international players. Otherwise, the international game is going to get diluted more and more every year and we're going to have countries falling um, you know, off from the top of the test charts where the West Indies were 20 or 30 years ago to, to now not even being good enough to qualify for a men's um, World Cup 50-over tournament. So, you know, their, their decline has been quite dramatic and, you know, I can't see how it's going to improve. I mean, you saw, you saw it last week, right? Like, we talk, they're, they're talking up about so this is the, some of their best young talent they've got in the country. And, you know, a test match in Adelaide last seven sessions. So mm. it's definitely going to be a long way back for the West Indies. Yeah, I mean, it, it used to be that no matter where you came from, West Indies were your second favourite team because they were so flamboyant to, to watch them. Whether you love fast bowling, you got to see the world's best fast bowlers or you, or you got to see the likes of Viv Richards, Richie Richardson, those types of blokes. Yeah, And it seems to be that... You're never going to get a group of that talent again, all at once again. But you're going to get some talented players coming through. I mean, Andre Russell, that type of player, if you get them all at the one time, they're going to be a formidable team. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. The ICC needs to step in some way. But then it works. It has to work out where the money is derived from, how they generate that money. But let's let's move on to the test cricket. What are you seeing happening this Thursday in the uh, in the game uh, upcoming test? Well, it could very much be much of the same unfortunately from what we saw in Adelaide. I mean, I think, you know, the wickets that we saw in Adelaide um, you know, provided quite a bit for the fast bowlers. It has to be said there was a, quite a bit of seam movement in, in that surface down there and you know, we yelled to Brisbane um, in a pink ball night game. 
you'd expect there to be similar sort of movement up, up there as well. So it's going to take a, a huge turnaround in, and a swing in, um, in, in form from that West Indian team to make it anything other than probably what we saw in Adelaide, to be, to be totally honest. I mean, the, the talent and um, the skill level is just not quite there yet. You know, is the track fast? Like is it going to be fast and sharp? Um, it, well, it normally is. It normally, you know, in Brisbane, it normally starts a little bit slow up there, um, just because they leave, normally leave a little bit of moisture in it at the start of the game, um, and the grass is normally, you know, quite thick and quite long day one. And uh, as the game goes on up in Brisbane, it tends to harden up a little bit and get a bit faster and, and bouncier. So that you think that's the way to be. Um, and but as you, the other thing in, in Brisbane as well, if you do get some overhead conditions and you're, and you're batting under lights there against that pink ball, it, it won't be easy for anyone, let alone. You know, not just the West Indian guys, but we saw even the Australian batters, with, with the exception of Travis Head, um, mostly struggled in Adelaide as well. So it won't be easy batting conditions, um, So, but hopefully the West Indies can find a way to be a bit more competitive than they were last week. Now, we've, we were talking about it earlier. We've got the text machines run off its face. I'm not comfortable with seeing an opening bat fidget and jump around the crease and do all those <laughs> things that Steve Smith does. He's one of the greatest batsmen we've ever laid eyes on. I just struggle to see an opener doing that, and I would hate to see an opener doing that against the English, the New Zealand, or or the Indian teams. Yeah, look, I was as surprised as anybody, really. You know, when that when that story first broke, that he put his hand up and said he was willing to do it. As soon as I heard that, I thought, well, that's definitely the way they're going to go then, because they, you, you could see how desperate they were to get Cameron Green back back into the side. Um, which, by the way, I don't necessarily agree with either. I, I you know, I was pretty open saying that I, I felt they had to pick the the, the most inform and, and highest run scoring opening batsman from domestic cricket, and at the, at the at the time that was Cameron Bancroft. I thought he deserved to get picked on the on the work that he's done over the last couple of years. I think he's averaged over 50 the last couple of years in in first class cricket, and I just think it sends you know it sends a, a lot of bad messages. I believe to to the. the can I interject there, punter? Can 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 I interject there on Cameron Bancroft? There is a, a, a thought that he could be like a Graham Hick. He will belt up the first class bowlers, but will he be a long term success? Uh, and he's might have had enough opportunity in the past to show that it, there is that way of thinking. How do you view that? Uh, look, I think there can always be that way of thinking about anyone until you give them um, a bit of exposure and see what they're actually going to be like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess the, the you know, way you can look at it, and, and you know, with you and Kane there, you can look at it with AFL footballers as well, right? Like a lot of those, you, you always talk about 30 to 50 games into these guys before you sort of start them, start to see them develop into the player that they can be. Well, it's, so it's, it's, it's got to be the same. It's got to be the same with cricket as well. You know, these. Bancroft was picked reasonably young, didn't have a lot of first-class cricket under his belt, and the only way you get better is by um, playing against the best for long periods of time. I mean, you go back. Let's go back to Steve Smith. Go back to Kawaja. Um, go back to Travis Head. Where, where have these guys um, developed into really good international players after they've been around the setup for a while and, and learned what they need to do to be successful at international level? So, um, I mean, there's no there's no doubt that that Cameron Green is a you know highly talented player. Um, but you know his first class record is only the same as Bancroft's, and his Test record is about average about 30 with the bat. So they, we haven't seen the best of him yet either, but they're they're pinning their, I guess their their beliefs and and trust in him that he will turn into a, a generational player that we all think he might. What are you what are you seeing with him, um, punter Cam? We we discuss him a lot. I mean the the, the plaudits and the praise on him 
has been like what well, I've called him the most overhyped Australian athlete currently. Now that may be a big statement, and a lot of people disagree with that. But technically, you're as good as anyone. What are you seeing with his game? And are there any concerns, or are you confident he'll get there in time? Um, yeah. Look, look. I haven't seen as much. I've seen obviously the, t- the test international cricket he's played. I've seen a bit of that. I've seen a bit of his one day stuff for Australia. I've seen a bit of him in the IPL, I mean, I think he's still got a long way to go with his batting. I think his bowling in test cricket, I think, um, you know, has been pretty good. He, you know, it, it, to bowl the sort of pace he bowls from the height that he does and then to be able to move the ball like he does, he's pretty impressive with the ball. Um, but I think technically batting-wise, he doesn't look to me yet like he's sort of worked out what the right rhythm and tempo is with, as far as his test batting is concerned. And, and, and like we were talking about Bancroft, the only way that's going to change is by giving him the exposure and getting him out there and making him learn uh, in, in the heat of battle. So there's still, there's definitely, still definitely a work in progress. Uh, and, um, you know, the thing, he's quite a nervous young bloke as well, from all accounts. So, and you can, I reckon you can see that by the way that he, that he bats. It, it's a, it seems to be a very nervy sort of um, defensive-minded approach to his batting. Um, so, mm-hmm. But the more he plays, hopefully he can change that and free up his mind a little bit. And he can dominate test cricket the way that he's dominated first-class cricket for the last few years for Western Australia. Enjoyed your coverage of, of the game last night. Brisbane Heat getting it done by 54 runs against the Strikers and in particular the innings from Josh Brown. You, you were speaking about what an innings like that can do to someone's career in, in modern cricket with T20 and, and how that can launch you into stardom. I mean, what can an innings like that do for, for Josh Brown? He's probably taken phone calls last night and this morning from most domestic comps around the world, I'd yeah. imagine. I mean, there's a, there's a couple. I mean, the UAE comp, the ILT20 is happening uh, now over, over in um, Abu Dhabi. Uh, um, and I think that competition alone can have, uh, I think it's nine overseas players in each team. Um, you know, it only takes a, a couple of breakout performances like that. You know, J- Jake Fraser-McGurk's over there playing in that competition at the moment in between the end of the Big Bash and when... Uh, Australian Sheffield Shield cricket starts again. So there are huge opportunities now. You know, there's MLC, that Major League Cricket in America, that's really going to take off the next couple of years. That sort of runs through July, which is obviously the off-season for Australian players. So there are there are huge opportunities. And I've seen it happen um, a lot in the past, where you know, having coached in the, the IPL for a number of years now, that, um, you know, if anyone has a couple of standout performances. It doesn't matter if they've been heard of before, if they're, they're star players or youngsters on the rise. If they have a couple of really good performances just before that IPL auction, then you know, they're, they're, their value normally goes through the roof. And That could easily happen with Josh Brown. I know it's, a, I know it's pretty much a, a one-off that innings he played last night, but you, you can that, that ball-striking talent is, is there. And um, you know, if, if he can work out the right way to go about his T20 cricket from here on with the power that he's got, then he could easily find himself in a, a few other franchises around the world. Yeah, so uh, I just watched the highlight package of it this morning and it, it just made me think of the decision to let Chris Lynn go. Do, would they have seen this in him saying, well, we've got another bloke who can strike just as well? And and all of us would have said, oh, that's rubbish. No one strikes it as well as, as Chris Lynn in the domestic competition of the BBL, but this bloke did last night. Yeah, he's done it, apparently done it around um, Brisbane grade cricket for the last few years, which is why he sort of popped up on the, the BBL radar last year. Um, I mean, he's still, he's still very raw, and I sort of said it last night as well. There's still, there's still a, a hint of that, you know, that just that club cricketer about him, if you like, the way he goes about his cricket, even he's running between the wickets and the way he sort of, you know, blind turned a few times <laughs> last night, sort of turned the wrong way. Like that, all, all that sort of stuff is... 
sort of traits of the of the weekend club cricketer, but there's no doubting his ball striking ability. I mean, that that last night, some of the six six hitting last night, it's it's, it's pretty effortless power with him. He's a, he's a big strong guy, but to be able to hit the ball um, pretty much oh, about 270 degrees around the ground. If you look at it yesterday, like he hit a lot of um, off the spinners behind square leg side. He hit the fast bowlers straight down the ground and over extra cover. Um, it was it was very impressive. And you know, if 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 the Brisbane Heat can get him to do that again in the final um, tomorrow, then that'll be hard to beat once again. Yeah, that strike over extra cover over long off is just extraordinary. And Panda, some of us have to just blind turn with the bat in the right hand because it's our quickest leg. We just put the head down and go because <laughs> we just we know we have to get there. Yeah, it was interesting. It was funny with him last night because he I don't know if you, how closely you watched it, but there was one instance last night where he was running down the wicket with his bat in his left hand because the ball had gone on the offside. But when he got to the crease, he changed, changed over it. into his right hand and turned his back to the to where the ball was coming from and got in and out. So, and actually, as, and to be honest, to be fair, um, as well, he, he actually didn't field in the in the fielding innings because he he was carrying a bit of a sore hip. So he might he might have been turning on his good hip and not his bad one. Ricky Ponting is with us from Ponting Wines, pontingwines.com.au. Now, Ricky, before we let you go, I had a bit of a crack at you after. Uh, a game between the Thunder and the Scorchers where you called the pitch substandard. I said that batsmen need to harden up a little bit and not be as precious because I like a wicket that does a bit and gives the bowlers some love. Was I off yeah. the mark? And what is your what is your ideal pitch? Uh, no, no, I don't, I don't mind seeing that at all because quite, quite often, Kane, those sort of wickets lead to the best games a lot of the time. You know, some of the, the lower scoring one days or T20s can quite often often be the most entertaining to watch, but. The point I was making about that one that day is um, as long as as long as the home team knows the way that the wicket is going to play, then it's okay. Because you, mm. you think about the way you put your squad together, the the player draft that you enter, you enter into, you're quite often picking players on what you think your home conditions are going to be like. And then when you turn up one week and you've got a, a really good um, flat wicket that doesn't spin and you, you rock up on the same pitch only a few days later and it's turning square, then... And the and and the home team doesn't know the way it's going to play. Then that's what makes it, it makes it difficult. And it, yeah. it can be like I was saying on air that night. You know that can be a a real turnoff for for young players. You know the Sydney Thunder. Um, and one of the other points I was trying to make that night. The Sydney Thunder has been a sort of a struggling um, BBL team for for a few years now. And if they produce wickets like that more often than not, then you're going to see a lot of young Australian batsmen that want to go to venues and score big runs. They're going to turn away the opportunity to go and play there. So, um, it, it, look, it, as I said, it's, it's, I'm sure they didn't mean to prepare it that way and groundsmen can't get it right all the time. But, you know, when you can see, and nothing against Ash and Agar, but when Ash and Agar can bowl four others for six or whatever he bowled that, that day, that says to me that the wicket probably wasn't up to scratch. All right, conscious of your time, uh, a couple of texts coming through. Pass mark wins-wise for your Kangaroos this year. What's a pass mark? <laughs> well, um, well you, you two are better judges than me than that. So no. what, what they've only won about, what have they won? They've won four games in the last four years, something like that. Yeah. So um, pass mark. Um, mm. I'm saying six wins will be a pass mark. Yeah. I'm saying seven, pass mark yeah. punter will be just improved. Doesn't matter if you improve. win more or win less. Can they, well, Kane, can we win six games? Yeah, you can win six. Yeah, that that would be yeah. a, a pass mark for me. I think you get to I think you get to seven this year, Ricky. We will see you the final between the Sydney Sixers and the Brisbane Heat. That's tomorrow. Then for Channel Seven, the first day of the second test against the West Indies on Thursday. Mate, appreciate your time. 
and we will definitely check out Ponting Wines, pontingwines.com.au. Just got to use the SEN uh, code at checkout for free delivery. Appreciate your time. Cheers, Panda. Good on you guys. Cheers, guys. Ricky Ponting there, our guest. Breakfast on SEN. Breakfast on SEN, having a magnificent morning. Hope you're enjoying the program. If you want to join in, you can always do that. The invitation is there via the open line, which is one 736 736 If you're just joining us, we spoke to Jose Morgado, who's an a international tennis writer who gave us the update on the Australian Open. And moments ago, Ricky Ponting, if you've missed that, of course, it's available on the podcast. And Brett Phillips is our SEN tennis expert. So we'll deep dive into his thoughts and can anyone upset upset Novak Djokovic? And who's going to win on the ladies' side? Questions without notice as well. SEM Breakfast is powered by Kubota. Take on any job with Kubota mowers, tractors, and land pride attachments. Um, if you're just joining us as well, before 6 o'clock, Derm reflected on his time in the early days of, of SEN, and he debunked a story <laughs> that, that uh, David Schwartz has been running with for a while now. You didn't leave because they offered you less money. No. You no. left because you were offended because you worked for free for three months for That's nothing. Yeah. And you missed a couple of days because you had other commitments. And the boss at the time. One of one of the. One of the bosses. Yeah. Committee or whatever you call them. Yeah. <laughs> Who was it? What was his name? Oh, let's not put him in. His <laughs> first name might have been Peter. That leaves it open to about one million men in Australia. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's we said, are offended. He, he actually said in the Green Guide, we want to know if he's serious, if he really wants to work right? and, and pitch in for the station. And I thought, fair dick, mate. I've just worked for three months for free for Nick's. And I guarantee you're still getting paid. Did you confront him personally about oh, it? I saw him a little later and he came in and tried to be all chirpy and I just fresh-aired him. I mm. thought, no. Nah. Oh, oh, you've got to know your personality and I'm... I battled to argue with men, Kane. I grew up in an environment, in a neighbourhood, that any argument with another male ended to fisticuffs. Yeah. So I try and walk away yeah. from any verbal with another male. Cause I just... Unless it's on a football field. Oh, yeah, yeah, rape and slather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're free to go. <laughs> uh, and we did speak about uh, people getting in trouble in Adelaide off the back of Glenn Maxwell and his issues and... Uh, the time that Derm got himself five weeks at the tribunal, but he had a crack at the umpire because he changed his evidence after he cleaned up Chris McDermott yeah, in mate. Adelaide's first ever game. Uh, magnificent memories and reflections this morning. You can join in at 0433 I got one for you. There's a, a, a text from Jason here. Thanks, Jason. And, and thank you to everybody who came and turned up at the uh, um, SEN party. Yeah. Um, right on Friday, it was fantastic seeing putting faces to voices, actually. Yeah, and so they were lovely people and really enjoyed the the afternoon. But there's one here from Jason. Morning, boys. Is there a risk of the test not starting due to the incoming weather? Now, this is not my question to you. Why do – whenever we the, – the guys who make the weather predictions say, mm. oh, yeah, this low is developing and it's joining forces with another low, it's going to be a cyclone of X factor, it'll make landfall. Well, why don't they just say it's going to cross the coast and be, be over? over? What is landfall? 
What is what the hell is land for? Everybody uses it now. It's like nobody gets bundled out in any sport other than tennis. You only get bundled out in tennis. You only have landfall when bad weather's coming. That's why I love working with you because you keep me on my toes. Any any of you weather experts out there? uh, Landfall. Let us know why they use landfall. Uh, We've got a smart audience. Someone will know. Uh, and has it taken over? And what are some the of the coast, other terms that, that annoy you? Bundled out is is definitely yeah, definitely yeah. one of those. So you, you, I've never heard like last year the Giants got bundled out in the preliminary final. Mm. No, they didn't. They got beaten. Um, yep. Bundled out is reserved only for tennis. There's a question without notice. We got a Signet Boost Power Bank valued at forty four ninety five <laughs> up for grabs. If you want to join in, you got Might a question be a bit much that for that like, answer. But... Like, like them, um, let us know on the other side of the news headlines. <laughs> All right, landfall, uh, a situation in which someone or something reaches land after being at sea. That's the def- That's the definition on. Uh, so on someone. So if search. you're so if you're you're on your tinny, and the wife and you... says, "Be back in by six p.m." Oh yeah, I'll make landfall by five thirty. <laughs> I mean, that what a ridiculous thing. Correct. Yeah. Hang on. We've got one BG. Oh, no. It's not my mate in the beach. No, it's somebody else. Bundled out is used in footy when you go out in straight sets. Oh, I'm not so sure. I don't Maybe. know. I reckon they just say out in straight sets. Here's one from Mockster. Hey, gents, before the cyclone hits landfall, if Australia have just one day of cricket, surely this will be sufficient. <laughs> so if you fly... Cheeky. Overseas, across the ocean, and you reach yeah. your landfall. Yeah. You've hit landfall. Going to America, landfall in LA. Yeah. Hey, question without notice for you. Sometimes you get a real inkling into what makes people great. And we had lucky enough to have Toby Green on the program last week when, when Phil Davis was with me. Now, off the back of a season in which he was named the All Australian captain and took his side. Uh, to a prelim final within a kickaway of a grand final off the back of not many expectations. He says that he wants to bring back the weapon in his game. Dermy said that he became very weak in the contest. Now, how hard could you be on yourself? And the question I've got, is that what the best are? Like they, they find an area to motivate themselves because many people would be really comfortable sitting there going, one of the best captains now, I'm the All-Australian captain, I uh, took my team pretty close to a grand final. We're in a good position to go one better this year. But I became really weak in the contest. Did you notice that with Toby Green's game? And is that an inkling or an insight into what makes him great? So, the th- yeah, he is, he is a great player. Oh. The one thing I noticed which I thought was a detraction from where he has been, as good as he was this year, what was his best mark this year? Uh, in, in 2023, mm. he stopped flying for the ball as yeah. much. Now, when you have a player who's that all-rounder at six foot, plays like he's six foot two, six foot three, as clever as when the ball's in motion around him, is super dangerous on the ground and sees things unfold. That's the complete package. The package that he is lost that aerial or the want to go in the air last mm. season. I, I, I think that might be what he might be referring to as in contest for the ball when it's in the air.
Yeah, so he said he hurt his sternum halfway through the year. He couldn't do any weights. He said he's not a big fan of the weights anyway, but he, he couldn't do that. He became really weak in the contest, and he wasn't calling for the one-on-one balls. And mm. he was going for more of the front and center situation, which is what you're talking about, where he wasn't involved in as many aerial contests. He wants to bring that back. But I just thought, I mean, it's, it's what makes the best the best. They they find a way to motivate themselves. We're speaking about Novak Djokovic. It's, he, he said this, it's not about money. I don't need any wins on the ATP tour. I want Grand Slam wins. That's what I'm here for. And mm. um, you know, I the, do the, remember the, Kane coming off a of ground. Like every footballer, you, you'd stand in the showers. How do you, what do you think today, mate? When you're chatting mm. to your teammate after a win, lose, draw, and say, so "How much you get?" And and I'd say, "I don't know," but I dropped two marks. Yeah, it's amazing. And, that, isn't and it? that that's what you'd think about how not to drop those two marks next game. Yeah, so there's an appetite for betterment pretty well and, and until your body starts failing. Yeah, and never, so head. never, nev, yeah. never, you were never satisfied. No, you, there was always, I'd, you'd focus on the, on the losses in the game, the failings in the game more than the successes because the successes, you, you repetitiously, you can keep trying, endeavouring to produce them, but it's when you fail... In in the in the motion, be it whatever it is, whether it's kicking a goal, had mm. six shots, kicked mm. two goals for. It, mm. It's it's what you failed at. You've got to get better at. It's what makes the best the best. This is SEM Breakfast, the Australian Open. It's quarter final time. Our expert is Brett Phillips. And if you've got a question without notice for us, uh, give it to us, and you go in the running to win the Signet Boost Power Bank, valued at forty four ninety five. They're magnificent. Keep everything powered twenty four seven. And we're here, of course, thanks to. Kubota, take on any job with Kubota mowers, tractors, and land pride attachments. We'll talk some tennis next. Breakfast on SEN. It is breakfast on SEN. Dermot Burden is here alongside of me and our tennis open, our Australian Open update is for Wilson. Uh, get your game on and join us in celebrating the Wilson Summer of Tennis. BP's had a busy time and he's been good enough to join us again this morning. BP, good morning. Kane, uh, Dermy, good morning, guys. BP. Now, we've been discussing whether it's the right or wrong call to knock Novak off prime time and make him play during the day. I say yes, Derm says no. You've got the deciding vote, BP. <laughs> No, it's fine. He has had so much time at night. Put him in 29 degrees today and let's see what he's really, really made of. <laughs> One of the greatest of all time. So, oh, look, I think it's, it, the scheduling is uh, tough. But I think, you know, with Rublev, you know, when he beat Demon, all that finished about midnight Sunday night. They always like to give players the same amount of time to prepare and Djokovic play during the day. He'll play night onwards, obviously, if he gets through to a semi. Um, so they always like to try and give players, you know, at the top. The men's game is... Uh, He's, uh, he's pretty tough, and given that recovery time, you know, they play big four or five set matches, and, and Yannick Sinner is a star of the game as well. He deserves a little bit of prime time because he's going to, along with Elkaraz and Co, going to take the mantle from Djokovic um, you know, going forward. So I think it's, I think it's fine. Um, Novak, I'm sure, would like to play at night, uh, but he's 8-0 with Taylor Fritz, the head-to-head today, so I'm going to back him in. So that's an intriguing match because Fritz was—he came out and it was—he blew his opponent away, 
And it, it almost looks like, could this be, could this be like one of those most, well, there'll be 300 million Americans <laughs> you know, mm. uh, backing him in tonight. Well, look, he's a great ball striker, Taylor. He's had a great couple of years to rise to the top 10, Dermy. Paul Anacone's had a lot to do with him, who coached Sampras and Federer. You know, Californian boy who just has grown up uh, with tennis in his veins. I remember sitting, you know, right down low court side of the ATP Cup a year ago, and boy, oh boy, he could hit the ball hard. And uh, his coach, Michael Russell, was a former player on the tour who's a fitness fanatic, but he said, OK, you've got to lose power, Taylor, but you've got to be able to move out on the tennis court and be a big gazelle and just get to balls. You know, players are playing the drop shot more. There's more variety. So he's added the wheels to the power and it's trying to combine all that with, you know, being in the right mental state. And think back, US Open quarters last year, these two met and it was 6-1, 6-4, 6-4. So the last two sets was only a break of serve. And then they played a five-setter at the Australian Open when all the fans got kicked out with a curfew uh, back in 21 uh, that went the journey. So, look, he's got to break through it sometime. I forgot you know, about Novak that. on this court. Yeah, Novak <laughs> on this court, though, is just the king. I mean, yeah. he might have a niggle. He might have a sniffle. Uh, but they've got to bring him down best of five. They're all dying to you know do that, but it's a, it's a tough equation. We touched on Alcaraz and just the star power that he possesses. Derm sort of captivated by not only his ability, but the way he carries himself and, and the aura BP. No one has been a bigger fan of he than you. Can he do it? Well, I'm glad the Melbourne crowd and those at the Australian Open are probably getting a real appreciation of how good this guy is because we missed him last year. And then two years ago, he he was still, you know, building. Um, And then obviously he's had this rapid rise, but they're actually seeing him up close and personal. They're seeing the tennis player, which is extraordinary. But they're seeing this human who just carries a smile on his face everywhere he goes. You know, whether it's media, fan engagement, uh, he's just, he's unbelievable. I mean, maturity beyond his years. And he, look, when it's all said and done, who knows? He might break all the records in tennis in the next two decades. So he's the hot favourite, certainly, to go through and and play in the final. Um, he'd love another crack at Novak. I mean, these two, we want to see these two go head-to-head as much as possible while Novak's still playing at a... A great level. He's beaten him at Wimbledon. Um, Djokovic had one love, loved one back over Alcaraz. So if you're looking at the final, that would be the dream final come the end of this week. Hey, BP, four rounds is enough to ascertain just how good players are and they deserve to be there. Yet we saw last night, maybe it's on account of Zhang being so good, but she just obliterated the girl from France, Doden, uh, Dodan, however we say it. Yep. Uh, that was the biggest domination I think I've seen in in this tournament. How does somebody get through to the fourth round and get dominated that way? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, I mean, we didn't factor her in, uh, that in at all. And obviously when Jess Pagula went out, it just opened up the draw, depending what section you're in. And sometimes you can just have a little dream run, you know, as Steve Bradbury, everyone falls over and you, you just sneak through to another round and you keep going and you have your moment in the sun. She might never, ever get back there again. But let me tell you, this uh, Zhang of China is a superstar in the making and you know, Lee Nars back at the tournament this week playing in the Legends, who, you know, has, has inspired yep. a lot of young Chinese girls to play. There's a crop of them inside the top 100. She's the best. In fact, Wim Fassett, who went back to coach Osaka when she decided to come back, was coaching this girl, and he just left her without any notice, and she blasted him in the media. And But if you look at her backstory, like a lot of the Chinese players, they, they're ingrained so young. They're away from home. 
um, almost institutionalised in, in a way, playing tennis, you know, academic side. And look, she's got some freakish talent who's going to be, you know, certainly top 10 this year. We saw the other night uh, Diminor play a really good game, got knocked over in the end and, and blown away in the final set. But his, his opponent, Rublev, he's so hot-blooded in the way he argues with himself, his coach. I was saying earlier, it almost looks like he's one of those hot-blooded Spaniards or Italians. It's, he's got all these emotions which normally doesn't ride with a Russian player. But the one thing I wanted to ask you about, his coach in the stand, is it being relaxed? Is it allowed now? But his coach was actually physically gesturing to him, coaching him how to play shots, what he wanted. He wanted topspin. He started flicking his hand back. Is that more acceptable these days? Oh, coaching is allowed, uh, Dermy, yes. Totally allowed um, now. So it, it, well, you know, it used to be just the hand gestures and, and obviously there was always the coaches coaching without saying anything. Yeah. They had little signals and hand gestures and then... The tours, what about a year or two ago, said no, no, let's just let's just conform to other sports here. I mean, coaching is allowed. Why, why isn't the coach allowed to have some influence? So now we're seeing this uh, obviously dialogue that can happen between coach and player, whether it's hand gestures, verbal. Uh, Diana Yastrzemska, who won yesterday, her coach, uh, he was full on. He was mic'd up too. It was actually great <laughs> to listen to. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't understand a word of it, mind you, but it was uh, very entertaining. And yeah, it's it's certainly allowed now. I mean, the coach is such a big part of the journey that they just got that different lens that they might just say one crucial thing that could you know give their player an advantage. Huge day of action, BP. You'll be all over it. Hopefully, we can chat to you tomorrow. Yeah, seven o'clock tonight. Uh, yeah, a couple of crackers on Rod Labor will bring it to your life. How good is that going to be? Brett Phillips there for Wilson. Get your game on and join us in celebrating the Wilson Summer of Tennis. Novak is up. In the daytime today, which is and Mark Philippoussis, yeah, kicks off play on the BP. Legends Tour. I wonder if he's still sending them down at two twenty kilometres an hour <laughs> with that big, big serve and big forehand that uh, Mark Philippoussis possessed. We'll be back to wrap things up after this.